Well, listen carefully to my words. We're continuing our Holy Living in an Unholy World series. Oh, nobody got the joke. I wanted to talk something about the World Series in my message this morning. So I just said it. I said the word World Series. I guess you guys aren't baseball fans, right? Are you Giants fans or Royals fans? Braves? Oh, let's see. Tigers, oh. Wait till next year. Wait till the next century. Sorry. The Detroit Lions won today, though. Anyway, so much for my World Series joke. Well, let's move on. We really are continuing our sermon series this morning. And the title of the series is Holy Living in an Unholy World. And uh, that's the challenge for us. And so if we go to the next slide, we're looking at, really, we're studying the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is at the end of the New Testament. It's very close to the end of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to that. And we're looking at this particular book. And it's the Apostle Peter writing to the early day Christian church, Christian believers. And they were having a difficult time living in their world, which was a very unholy world. Much like our world today. So I don't need to spend a whole lot of time telling you that we live in an unholy world. We look all around us and we see it there. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, and, and this is up here on the screen, this is what Peter writes. And he's not only speaking to those everyday Christians, but he's speaking to each and every one of us if we call ourselves a believer, if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. <clears throat> he says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. As followers of Christ, we are called to be holy. Now that seems like a monumental task. It seems almost humanly impossible for us to be holy. Yet God calls us. And expects us to be holy. So the question, I guess, for this morning, for each of us, is this. How do you live a holy life in an unholy world? How do I live an un a holy life in this unholy world? Now, I don't have any pat answers for you. But I believe the first step, and we're going to be talking about that this morning. The first step is that we need to remember who we are. You need to remember who you are. How many of you ever, how many of you seen The Lion King? Very pretty popular movie. A few years ago. Well, I'm going to show you a clip from The Lion King. And let me set it up real quickly. This is the young lion, Simba. His father, the king, has already gone. And young Simba's looking for his place in the world. He's not quite sure who he is and what he needs to do and how can he follow in the legacy 
of his father. And probably at this point in the movie, young Simba is lacking in a bit of self-confidence. Remember, remember who you are. You know, there's been many studies done that talk about the way you see yourself determines to a large degree the way you act and react in life. This is no new discovery. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So let me ask you this question this morning. Who, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? As we look into 1 Peter, and we're looking at chapter 2 this morning, let's see what Peter has to say. And let's see what God's Word has to say about us, about His people, about who we really are. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 4 and moving through verse 10. If you don't have your Bibles, we have it up on the screen. And this is what it says. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And here are the key verses this morning. Verses 9 verses 10. And this is what Peter tells us, and this is what God is telling us to do. When he says, remember who you are. It's a believer of Christ. It's a follower of Jesus. He says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. You are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then verse 10 says, once you were not a people, but now... You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, in these few short verses, Peter reminded the early day believers, and he reminded us today, how do I live a holy life in this unholy world? He says, remember who you are. You know, we... Um, we're a very forgetful people at times. We don't remember. So that's why we need to be constantly reminded. And so Peter reminds us this morning. He says, remember who you are. Remember that you are a chosen people. Remember that you are a people belonging to God. That you're his special possession. In verse 4 he says, remember that you are a living stone. Remember that you are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Remember that once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Remember who you are. You know, in verse 9, we find that all of these old titles of God's people from the Old Testament now belong to us as Christians. This list that I've created. I could give a sermon on each of these phrases. 
But this morning, I want you to simply notice that our text is trying to tell us just four simple things. And that's what I want to leave with you this morning. Four simple things about God's people. You are God's people. And so the first thing, and I want to personalize it, the first thing, and hopefully it'll help us to remember some things about God's people to help us remember who we are. First thing, first thing is that we're important. I'm important. Okay, I want you to, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, in your loudest voice, I'm important. Good. You believe that. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm important. All right. I'm important. You've got to make sure when you say that, you pronounce the R in the important word. You don't want to say, I'm impotent. No, you don't want to say that. I'm important. Believe that. You know, most of us spend our entire lives trying to earn acceptance. We want to earn. We want to earn our acceptance from our parents, from our peers, from our coworkers, from our family, from the other kids in school. And would you agree that people do crazy things to be accepted? Remember when you were a kid and you wanted to fit in? You know, when all the cool kids dared you to do something that was stupid or dangerous, you would do it anyway because you desperately wanted to fit in. I still remember when I was in the fifth grade, we moved from Hilo to Lihui, Kauai. So I was the new kid in school, and I didn't know anybody, and everybody else knew each other. And I wanted to fit in. So I'd hang out with some boys after school, and they were the cool kids. And so they all smoked. So they wanted me to smoke. So I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to fit in. I wasn't very bright at the moment. And so I tried smoking. And you know what? I was so stupid. They didn't even have cigarettes. They just found some leaves on the ground and they rolled them up. And we lit it up. And I. The first time I smoked it, I just choked. My throat burned, my tongue burned, my eyes started to water. But I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to fit in with the cool kids. And you know what? That's how gangs grow. They reach out to kids who are loners, who want to feel accepted. That's how I just, I just read this week. That's how some of the terrorist groups recruit young men and even young women, because they feel accepted. They'd be part of a group, and they would do crazy and stupid things, but because they want to be accepted. And we love that feeling, that feeling that I'm important, isn't it? Someone has chosen me. Someone has accepted me. That feels good. You know, yesterday I had, a, I had the privilege to conduct a wedding, and it was, uh, it was held right on the beach, over, over in Waimanalo on the other side of the island. And it was, it was a gorgeous setting. Rabbit Island was right in the background of all the photos. And we were standing on the sand. And there was this beautiful arch there. And it was, it was gorgeous. And the pictures were perfect. And, 
is interesting. They even had a drone flying with a camera on it to take photos. It was amazing. As I think back on that, I remember the vows, the vows that the couple shared with each other. And they basically said in their vows, they said, I choose you. I choose you alone. And I promise to love you no matter what happens, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I choose you. Out of all the other six billion people on this earth, I choose you. When you are chosen, doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that just boost your self-esteem when you're chosen? Well, Peter tells us in verse 9, he says, You are a chosen people. You have been chosen by God. You're something special. Christ has accepted you, and there's no condition listed there. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on something that you've earned. You'll never deserve it. That's what grace is all about. We don't deserve it, but God chooses us anyway. God simply says, I love you, and I chose you. So this this morning, remember who you are. You are important. Why? Because God chose you. The second thing we learn from this passage is that we discover that I'm worth something. I'm worth something. So turn to your neighbor again and say it as loud as you can. I'm worth something. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm worth something. Good. How much are you worth? Well, our text says not only are you important, but you're also worth something. How much do you think you're worth? Now, I'm not talking about your net worth, okay? Because that's what people automatically think. What's my net worth? But I'm talking about your self-worth. Don't ever confuse your valuables with your value as a person. You see, you can be rich or poor or anything in between, but it has nothing to do with your value as a person. What determines value? What determines value? There are two things that determine value in life. Number one, it depends on what somebody is willing to pay for something. What are you willing to pay for a house or for a car or for a ring? And then the second thing, it depends on who has owned it in the past. For instance, if LeBron James had a game jersey that he actually wore and that he signed it, and that he gave it to you, that would be worth quite a lot of money because of who owned it. So based on these two things, what's your value? As a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what's your value? Ask yourself, who owns me? And what was paid for me? You see... You've been, brought, you've been bought and paid for by Christ. You belong to him. How much are you worth? Jesus paid for you with his life. He bought you back from the devil. 
You see, God exchanged his own son for you. The cross, the cross proves your value. God says, I love you so much that I gave my own son, my only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. And that means we must be extremely valuable to God. Do you believe that? Are you worth something? Amen. You know, in verse 5 of chapter 2 here, it uses an illustration to show us our value. You see, God is having this, uh, this building project, and you are a part of it. He's building this stone building that represents the church. It represents the family of God. And you are one of the stones. It says you're a living stone. You see, God is building his church. And the foundation and the cornerstone of this spiritual building is Jesus Christ himself. That's what it says there in verse 5. So by the way, what are you building your life on? You want to make sure it's on a solid foundation. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the one who fits everything together in the building. So remember who you are, that you are worth something, that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you. The third thing this morning, what else do we need to remember? We need to remember, number three, that I'm useful. I'm useful. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm useful. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm useful. Did I hear someone say, I'm useless? No, 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 no. Verse 9. Verse 9 also says that we are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. God says that we are a priest. We're a holy nation. That's telling us that the two benefits that priests have are now available to everyone who is a believer. You've got to believe that. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, priests did two things. Number one, they had the right and the privilege and the responsibility to go directly to God. They could pray to God. They could talk to God directly, worship Him and fellowship with Him. All the other people had to go through a priest. To have access to God. And then the second thing the priest did in the Old Testament. The priest had the privilege and the responsibility of representing God to the people. And ministering to the needs of the people. And serving to be God's representative to the people. And so those are the very two things that are true of you when you become a believer. You have a right now to go directly to God. You don't need to go through a priest or the pastor or the preacher or or anyone else. You have direct access to God through Jesus Christ as a believer. That is your right. When Jesus died on the cross, remember the temple. There was a, a veil, a big curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies. And only the priest could go in there once a year to bring petition for the people and ask for forgiveness of sin. 
But when Jesus died on the cross, it says that, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies was torn in two and it was wide open. And that meant when Jesus Christ died on the cross, we all have direct access to God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We don't need to go through the priest or through anyone else. So you have a right now to go directly to God. Direct access through Jesus Christ. But the second responsibility is that God says that you, that we have to be his representatives. God's representatives to the people as priests to minister and to serve others, to serve those in need. In essence, he's saying, as priests, as ministers, you become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ as you minister to the needs of other people. So anytime you're using your talents and your gifts to help others, you are ministering. You are a minister. Whether you're helping in our children's ministry, and many of you do that, and we appreciate that. Whether you're an usher or a greeter, you serve refreshments, you're part of the worship team, maybe you're up in the booth behind the scenes, maybe you volunteer at the Aloha desk, or you lead a small group, or you teach a class, or you're helping our kids program on Wednesday, or you help in the community, and some of you went out yesterday in our Make a Difference Day, and you helped over at Kapolei High School. Anytime you're using your talents and gifts to help others, you are ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. You are serving. So why does God save us and not just take us to heaven? Why? Well, I believe it's because we are saved to serve. We are saved to serve him. We have these S's on our shoulders. The two S's stand for saved to serve. We're saved to serve. You see, a non-serving Christian is a contradiction. God saved us for his holy work. And so you may ask, you may say, well, how, how do I know what my ministry is? Well, it's simple. You look at your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your passions. You make them available to God. You look at how God is shaping you, and then you use your talents and gifts to help other people. And every time you do that, that's called ministry. It's actually very, very simple. And so please understand that each person is necessary to the body of Christ. Each one of us is a stone in this building. And if you take out just one stone, you have a problem. If I don't use my talents and spiritual gifts, then you get cheated. And if you don't use your talents and spiritual gifts, then everybody else gets cheated. We are all necessary. We are all important to the body of Christ. So I need to remember these things. I need to remember that I'm important. I need to remember that I'm worth something. I need to remember that I'm useful. And last but not least, here's the fourth one. I need to remember that I'm forgivable. I'm forgivable. For the last time, say to your neighbor, I'm forgivable. And to your other neighbor, say, I'm forgivable. Verse 10, right up here, it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, some of you believe that whenever you're having problems, that God is getting even with you. And if you ever feel like that sometimes, well, let me remind you and tell you that God doesn't hold any grudges. He doesn't hold any grudges. We are told in the scriptures that we have been made holy in the eyes of God. That means when we stand before God, we are holy and clean. We are pure. But in and of ourselves, is there anyone here who is holy and pure? Of course not. But Jesus died for our sins so that through his sacrifice we could be washed clean and be able to stand before God pure and holy. 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses, says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us and to purify us of all unrighteousness. You see, as Christians, as believers, we are not perfect, but we are forgiven. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that we are forgivable. So how do you live a holy life in an unholy world? I believe the first step is simply to remember who you are. Remember Simba in The Lion King. He needed to be reminded of who he was. He had it within himself. His father was with him. He just forgot. And like I said, we tend to forget. How do we live that holy life? How do we live that life that God would want us to be? We remember who we are and who we belong to. That we are God's child. We're a child of the King. And once we remember that, we just simply be ourselves. You see... On our own, we are worthless and selfish and hopeless. But in and through Jesus Christ, we have been reminded this morning that we've been chosen by God, that we are the apple of his eye. We've been reminded that we have much worth, more than we can even imagine. And if some of you are feeling worthless right now, Just be reminded that you are worth so much that Jesus died on the cross for you. And we've been reminded that God has a purpose for each of us to minister and to serve. And that purpose is a holy purpose. He created us to have meaning and have significance in our lives. And finally this morning, we've been reminded that though we are not perfect, we are forgivable. That God's love and mercy and grace will never cease to amaze us.